Welcome to Keeping Them Safe, a podcast dedicated to create an environment everywhere where children are safe from sexual predators. Focus in this podcast is to train and develop you in such ways that you can see the potential risks that arise for children in the environments where you and your children and your neighbor's kids are playing and enjoying life and put a stop to the risks that are there for the children. I also know that many of you are engaged in activities to expand the conversation for child abuse prevention in your communities. And so today I wanted to take a little time and talk with you about ways that you can expand that conversation in your schools and organizations, neighborhoods, communities, and looking at the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. It's a pretty interesting conversation that the UN is engaged in, in looking at worldwide, the fact that for most part, children don't have any rights. Um, In many parts of the world, they are still considered property. And in this country, children are still ability of parents who are very often held accountable for the child's behavior. So today I want to talk a little bit about how do we then look to see what are the rights of a child and how do we create policies and procedures, structures and programs that give children some rights and at the same time create environments where they are safe? You know, in, in today's world, there's a growing awareness of the risks to children from maltreatment in schools and organizations, including physical and sexual abuse, exploitation, emotional abuse, and violence of all types. I mean, I don't know about you, but in my uh, younger days, when I was in elementary school, we had um, practices and drills for fires and tornadoes, but now active shooter drills are are the top priority for many schools. We, um, in this podcast, are focused on the elimination of the risk of sexual abuse. However, our attention is on child abuse of all types. We really do want to create an environment, a safer school and organizational environment that can prevent abuse and violence of all forms. So it's important in that context for teachers, staff, parents, and responsible adults to have their eye on these issues and to work together. So I wanted to talk to little today a little bit about the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. And I want to look at that from the perspective of what is it that the UN, this convention is, trying to point to for us so that we can bring those contexts to the conversations we're engaged with in schools and organizations and services we provide. You see, that convention on the rights of the child really established a great context for creating safe places. One of the most critical pieces of a comprehensive program to create safe environments and to protect children from predators is that third element that Dr. Finkelhor talked about, that we talked about earlier, that third element that must be present in order for sexual abuse to occur. 
there has to be an environment in which it can take place. So whatever we do to create safe environments is part of this context we're having, this conversation we're having to create safe environments. So let's look at what is the premise? What is the context? What is it that this convention on the rights of the child can provide us as a way to look at organizations, policies, procedures, schools, so that we are creating the safest environment possible. See, the premise of the convention that rights of the child is that children are equally entitled to protection from abuse and violence. Children are also entitled to protection from other forms of maltreatment and that every single adult is responsible for keeping them safe. So you can see the premise of this convention is really the same background that we're engaged with in creating a safe environment in which children are protected from sexual predators. Now, there are some key points to pay attention to in this effort, specifically as it relates to schools and organizations. One of the things that is critical is that an organization's policies and procedures have to be clearly set out and applied to everyone who's involved with children. That's a problem for a lot of places. Staff, volunteers, and parents look at these policies and procedures as good suggestions, and some of them look at them as bad suggestions. So sometimes these organizations do not enforce the policies uniformly. They don't expect everyone to follow them, and they look the other way when some people don't. Now, how can you customize your program to your children, your staff, your mission, facilities? How can you actually accomplish that goal of creating a policy that works for your organization? You got to have one that works and you got to have one that is applicable to every single person involved. So how what are the elements that you want to pay attention to? Well, first you want to make sure the policy is available to people that it's available to parents and volunteers and teachers and staff. And, and this is very critical and very often left out, you want to write a child-friendly version to share with students. Just the key elements, the things they know, the school or organization is committed to living up to not only in their staff and teachers' interactions with kids, but also the parents and volunteers and vendors and everybody who is on that campus or involved in those activities. So given that you want to make sure that policy is available, one of the other critical elements is you want to cover that material in meetings, teacher and staff meetings, parent meetings, gatherings of the parents and students together, you want to bring that conversation out in the open and make sure that everyone is engaged in it so that it becomes the norm to talk about creating a safe environment. You do the same thing for bicycle safety. Parents and kids are all involved in that together. We do the same kind of thing for fire safety. We teach the same elements 
to adults and children both. We don't often do that in abuse situations, for abuse situations. And it's critical that it becomes now a part of the conversation so that our children are um, clear that there's bicycle safety, there's fire safety, there's safety from weather, and there's abuse safety. Now, the, the third piece of this practice is to publicize it as much as possible. Don't leave it sitting on a shelf somewhere or hidden from people's view. Let everyone know what's acceptable, what's unacceptable in your program or organization, and the consequences for failure to comply with the policies, the consequences for failure to operate consistent with them. And in that process, you've got to give people examples. I find that when I'm working with folks in the work we do to create environments that are safe from sexual predators, it is absolutely critical to give people day-to-day kinds of examples of situations that are covered by the policy. So not only is everyone clear how the policy is applied, but they can start to see situations where that may, they thought might not have thought were applicable. Those situations are clearly covered by the policy and must be monitored and, and operated consistent with the policy. Now, it's also important that you make sure vendors and partners that provide services of any kind to the children either have a safety program in place that mirrors yours or is maybe even more secure and, and safe than yours, or that they agree to honor your policy. And with regard to school violence, which is um, you know a big concern these days, it's really important that schools work with the nearest law enforcement organization to establish the best possible procedures for dealing with violence, of violence of any kind, on school grounds or during organization functions. You know, um, state reporting laws for abuse clearly identify those who are mandated to report suspected abuse. And you want to create and manage your policy so that they comply with reporting laws and put children first. This is another fallacy that is very often a part of the system, a part of the situation, a part of the way things show up. People let go of those policies and procedures and the reporting if they know someone, if their experience in the past is this was a good person, or if they know that person's parents or their sister, or they had them in school with them. That's one of the biggest difficulties we have is overcoming those preconceived notions that we have about a particular person in such a way that we let them get away with things that are inappropriate and maybe even reportable. So it is really critical that each and every one of us begin to practice putting children and their safety first. And in in both cases, You've got to include parents in these discussions about how to deal with these issues, how to deal with reporting, whether they are mandated or not. We got to tell them, look, we we report and we report it in this way. And with regard to school violence, you've got to have parents involved in the creation of that 
practice, you've got to let parents know exactly the commitment you have to dealing with the potential for violence on your campus or in your organizational settings. You know, as I said before, most schools have fire drills and we have practices for other unusual circumstances in Oklahoma. For sure, we learned how to deal with tornadoes. You want to create a plan for dealing with the threat of violence on the premises and include it in your regular safety training, as I said earlier. Kids know about gun violence in schools, and they're already dealing with some level of fear and anxiety about it. So the more calm and practical and honestly matter-of-fact you can be in creating a plan, the more effective it will be for all the students and staff, and the more it can begin to occur for students as not a looming threat, but a way to deal with the possibility of a threat. And that in itself can make a huge difference in how children respond and in how they react. Um, another piece of this that's critical is that you want to develop um, a feedback system so that everybody involved with the program, everybody involved with the school, everyone involved with the organization can tell you that they see what works and doesn't work. You know, we have a particular viewpoint, whatever it is, and everybody's viewpoint is different. There may be things you don't see. You know, one of my one of my favorite examples of this is for years, summer camps have uh, had a practice of not allowing children to call home during camp. Their reason for doing that was because of homesickness when kids get to camp and then they call home and they cry and whine and then they're miserable again and then they call home and they're miserable again. So the camps just made up a rule, you can't call home. Now the problem with that is that they're not so good at ensuring safety in their programs and there were over the years, there were children, as we well know, with Boy Scouts in particular, but other organizations and camps also, there were times, too many times, when children were being molested by a camp counselor. And because of that rule, you can't call home. Their experience was that they had to endure it. And then many of them, over the next years of their life, held their parents accountable because their parents sent them to that place. Now, was the camp intending to protect predators? Absolutely not. But their point of view was only about how do we deal with this homesickness issue and the fact that kids keep calling their parents to come get them after day one or day two. So they looked at a practice that would eliminate that. They simply didn't see the other consequences. When you have established a feedback system, then everyone who's involved with the program or organization can tell you what they see that's working and what they see that doesn't work and can also advise you of the glitches or challenges that you never saw coming. Very critical piece of this entire effort to keep children safe from abuse. 
another element that really is important too, and there, there are six elements and this is the fifth one, okay? The next element that is really critical to having a program that has everyone involved and everyone clear about what's happening is to make sure that you have parental consent for children to participate in any program or service. And you set up a procedure for including children in the conversation. Ask them questions and listen to their answers. You know, when I spoke a few minutes ago about everyone has a perspective or a point of view, so do our children. And sometimes if you pay attention, you will hear untold, unimagined wisdom come out of their mouths. They see things we don't see. They have different filters than we have. And some of our filters cloud issues that are critical for them. They'll tell you a great deal about what it takes to make them feel safe. Don't assume you know. Now, years ago, I had someone I was have, talking with about providing social justice in a group. And social justice is very distinct from charity. This person actually couldn't get that social justice meant empowering people difficult or challenging situations to be able to find ways to help themselves to be the source of whatever gets resolved and to be then left with, we did this. We created this for ourselves. That empowers people to stand up for themselves. Charity means you and I decide what someone else needs and we provide it. Sometimes that charity is necessary. Sometimes it is critical that we provide a meal or clean clothes or a place to live for someone who is desperate and can't even think about what's needed. But, but I was speaking to someone about social justice and about the importance of empowering a particular group of people in our community who had the experience for themselves of being people with no voice. And this person just said to me, oh, come on, let's just figure out what they need and give it to them. That's the point of view that I know best what they need. And we can use that realization to a lesser degree in this conversation, when we talk to our children about what it takes to make them feel safe, listen to what makes them feel safe, and then look for a way to design and develop a program that actually fulfills on that. And then the last element that is really critical for creating this environment of protection is to identify locations or programs based on an assessment of whether they are high, medium, or low-risk situations. And then you tailor procedures to make sure all the precautions are in place to promote a safe environment from abuse in that program. You know, for example, make sure that more than one adult is present at all times. And in those rare occasions where one-on-one -on -one contact is necessary, provide an environment that invites observations, such as rooms or windows with open areas where others could come through, or, or locked doors and close off areas that are not being used so that people don't have access to them to isolate or seclude people. And regularly check those spaces to ensure and assure that no one is using them without permission. 
You know, in our environments around us, there are lots of risks. There are risks in school environments, in organizational activities. But we can, setting ourselves in the world of these rights of the child um, established by this UN convention, we can work together with administrators, with uh, program uh, delivery people, with teachers and staff, other parents, volunteers, to build a safe and nurturing experience for everyone involved. If we work together and we listen to each other, as that uh, UN Convention on the Rights of the Child points out, Regardless of what we do, children might still be victims of abuse and violence at times. It's a real hard reality for all of us to engage with. However, being part of creating and promoting a proactive plan to create a safe environment that prevents, to the best of our ability, violence and abuse of any kind is our best chance of making sure that all our children are safe each and every day. As I said, my name is Sharon Doty, and I am here to create safe environments, to empower you to identify potential predators in the environment, and to intervene and interrupt any situations that involve potential abuse to children. This is keeping them safe. And today I want to actually point to um, something that's available to all of you in the near future. In fact, in just in a couple of weeks, I've been contacted by an organization called the Zero Abuse Project. Uh, Zero Abuse Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. It believes in a world where every child can live free from abuse and can safely and confidently pursue their hopes and dreams. They take what's called a trauma-informed approach to education, training, prevention, and response to accomplish this goal. Now, we've talked about trauma-informed responses before, trauma-informed care, but I know it's a social work word that none of us who are not social workers use on a daily basis. So let me just say what a trauma-approached care is. It's an approach to human service that assures that an individual is more likely than not to have had a history of trauma of some kind. So trauma-informed care recognizes the presence of trauma system and acknowledges the role trauma may play in an individual's life, including uh, service staff. So their trauma-informed response means that they actually pay attention to the fact that there may be people listening and participating who have experienced trauma of some kind, and their programs and projects are developed. Their education, training, prevention, and response uh, programs have been developed with that in mind. Among their upcoming trainings and events this fall, the Center for Faith and Child Protection is offering its flagship training, Keeping Faith, on October 16th and 17th, Keeping Faith is a unique online course designed to empower faith communities dealing with cases of sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and neglect while providing details of the impact on the victim's sense of spirituality. This kind of training and development is extremely valuable for all of us who care about faith 
communities being safe for all our children. Now, you can learn more about this program, and you can register for Keeping Faith and the other virtual trainings at www.zeroabuseproject.org backslash events. Let me say that again. You can learn more and you can register for Keeping Safe, which is October 16th and 17th, 2023, and other virtual trainings they have. Their website is www.zeroabuseproject, all one word, dot org. And if you go to the events category, you'll be able to see all the programs that they have available. I haven't attended these programs, but I've spoken to these people. I've looked at their website. We've talked together about ways we might be able to promote um, the programs offered by each other. Zero Abuse Project is committed to eradicating child sexual abuse from the planet. That's the way I say it. They say a world without child abuse. They are an organization that understands that while it is important to educate and about responding to child abuse and about how to treat it and empower people to live past it, that it's also critical that we as adults develop the ability to identify potential predators in the environment and interrupt and intervene in situations before children are harmed. That's what I'm about. So I encourage you, if you're interested, to find out more about this Keeping Faith program. If it works for you and it's something you're interested in, to join their training on the 16th and 17th of October. Once again, thank you for joining me today. I hope that our conversation today has made a difference for you and will give you the space and the context and the filter through which to view the organizations and schools and systems that your children are engaged with and involved in, in such a way that you can be a factor in creating safe environments for them in each and every location with each and every group of people on every single day of their precious lives. Thanks for joining me today. Let's concentrate on keeping them safe, and I look forward to speaking to you next.